A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from others' mistakes. Welcome to the My Mistakes Podcast. We cover the lessons learned from the mistakes we've made in business so you won't do the same. I'm Chris Chanchuli. Pablo Escobar once said, everyone has a price. The important thing is to find out what it is. I'm Sean Rosenfeld, and I'll be asking questions to understand why Chris did what he did and what he learned from it. A special thanks to our sponsor, Don Pablo. It's a better cup of coffee. Deep, rich, full body. Get yours at Amazon or DonPabloCoffee.com. To rewind the saga and go back a couple of years prior to where we were in the last episode, back in 2005, when doing the eight-week body transformation program that I spoke about in an earlier episode, there was a woman who came into my office one day, knocked on the glass, and I was almost blinded by her this is not an exaggeration, 7.2 carat diamond ring. And she said, excuse me, are you the person behind this program? I was told by the front desk that a person around the corner pointing to the office. And I said, I am. She said, do you have a minute? And I was still staring at the 7.2 carat diamond. I said, sure, sure. By all means, come in, have a seat. So she sat down and she introduced herself to me. I said right off the bat, how are you? I'm Chris. How can I help you? I thought she was going to just sign up for training or interested to be the next person to sign up for the eight-week body transformation. So she proceeds to tell me her name was Juanita Bynum, and I didn't know who she was. And she said, my name's Juanita Bynum, and I have a TV program. I would love to lose weight and get in shape to look better on camera. And I said, okay. I didn't think she was lying, but I thought maybe it was like a public access something because I had no idea who this woman was. She was probably around 5'4", very attractive African-American with incredible jewelry. And I said, oh, tell me more about your TV show. And she said, oh, I have a ministry. I'm not sure what religious title she gave herself, I soon found out, which I'll get to. So there was no Google at this time. This is 2005, 2006, and no Google. So we talked for about 30 minutes, and I outlined what I could do with her and how the program would work. So she goes through the whole fitness program with me. And in that time, again, it was eight weeks, she lost a really good amount of weight. I want to say it was like 18 to 25 pounds. And it was just correcting your diet and doing the exercise thing, which is what this program was all about. Now, after she dropped the weight, she said, I'm so happy with how you worked with me. I've tried this many times before. And she said, I want to know, would you be interested in going on the road with me? And I had no idea what she was talking about as far as on the road, because I still didn't understand who she was as a celebrity. During that whole process of uh, that eight weeks, I had a couple of people 
from who are in the gym that said, do you know who that is? That's Juanita Bynum. And I said, I, I've heard. But I said, what is she? They said, she's a singer. She's a preacher. She has a huge ministry. So I'm hearing this. And in that time, she signed up two of her friends to train with me as well. So I knew that she could afford the training. And with that ring, I knew it wasn't so far-fetched that she was a celebrity. I just didn't know that area of religious gospel singers. So she asked after eight weeks was complete, she said, would you be willing to travel? And I knew she wasn't BSing me and that she did want me to go on the road. And I knew she would be willing to pay very generously. Because during the eight-week transformation program, if you remember from the previous episode, I talked about I was only going to have one male, one female for this eight-week program. And the criteria was to write why you want this or why you think you should win this or be trained for eight weeks at no cost. And I had a gentleman write in. He was 400 and I want to say 412. 25 pounds, 430 pounds. And he wrote a letter saying, I think you should choose me for your eight-week transformation. Living like this is very uncomfortable. I'm not able to go on an airplane with my family. I can't go on rides with my kids. And he was someone that was very into the religious community. And he knew exactly who Juanita Bynum was. And when he saw me working with her right at the beginning of the program or before the program started or right when she signed up at the beginning, when he saw her, he walked over to me when she walked away and he said, is that Juanita Bynum? Like he knew exactly who it was. So I knew that she was legit. And when I spoke to Juanita at one point, I said, oh, that gentleman who's going to be signing up he knows who you are. He has been to your church. He's seen you preach. And he said, nothing but good things about you. And she said, oh, I said, his goal is to lose 100 pounds or 200 pounds because he's over 400. She said, really? So she asked if I could let her know when his next appointment was because she had a surprise for him. And I said, sure. But I went and cleared it with him first. And I said to him, Juanita wants to speak to you. I don't know what it's about. And he was like, oh, okay. So she came to his next appointment. And now I had no idea she was going to say this. And this just like blew my mind. She said, I bet it's hard for you to live at that weight. He said, it is. She said, I want to help you out. He said, that's so kind of you. Now, he was one of the people that I did select. I selected one male and one female who they were not going to have to pay. It was no cost. He was the male that I chose. His letter was very touching. My heart broke for him that he couldn't play with his kids or go on an airplane or a ride. So Juanita says, I want to help you. I want you to lose this weight. I want to motivate you. I will give you $10,000 if you lose 50 pounds in the next eight weeks. And my jaw almost hit the floor. So his jaw almost hit the floor. and. He said, are you serious? And she said, absolutely. I want you to be healthy. She said, you're representing Jesus Christ. I know that you're a believer. And there was a lot of 
hallelujahs and amen. And here I am in the office joining in with the whole thing. I'm like, amen, amen, because they were so excited that I was joining into the excitement. So they hug, they pray, and she leaves. So he's looking at me. He's like, this isn't a joke, right? And I said, no, I'm just as shocked as you. And he said, I'm so grateful that you allowed me into this program, that you introduced me to her. He said, if I win that $10,000, 2000 is in it for you. And I was like, wow, thank you. And I was very grateful. Part of me was thinking, well, he did just save $1,300 on the whole training program, so I'm up 700 And it did cross my mind because what started as something for me trying to help someone became a matter of he was going to gain financially. So we go into eight weeks later, he drops the weight, she walks in, and he really worked hard. I informed her that he weighed in, he was 50 pounds less, and it came down to the wire, it was in the last day, and she rolls up right out in front of the gym in a stretch limo, and she gets out in a mink coat that I can only imagine what it costs. She's got on all of her jewelry, and I mean, she was just like blinging. And she walks to the office where the whole agreement started, where she made this deal. And she handed him an envelope with a cashier's check in it. And he looked at it and he started tearing and she hugged him. He hugged her. She leaves. He hugs me. And he looks at me and he's like, we did it. This is so exciting. Hugs me again. And I was really happy for him. So he leaves and... Like two days later, he comes back to the gym. This is like a side and I'm going off on a tangent, but I promise it's good. He comes in to bring me what he promised, which was $2,000. And this was kind of shocking. He hands me the envelope. And as he hands it to me, I'm just in awe. Like it went to show me you do something with the best of intentions and it still comes back to reward you. And as I look at the money, He looks at me and I saw him like out of the corner of my eye and he said, there's a G there. And I didn't think I heard him right. He said, what's that? He said, there's a G there. I said, a G. He's like, $1,000. It wasn't registering. And I said, oh, where's the other thousand? Like just asking. He said, I went home the other night and I discussed it with my wife. And she said, and I kind of agree that a thousand is more than enough. That's very generous. So we agreed that this is what we give you. And I was just so shocked because he was really going back on like what he agreed to give to me. And it was neither here nor there. It was just kind of shocking to me. After all was said and done, about a month later, he brought me another thousand, but it took someone who was part of the whole weight loss program that did it with him. When I told him what happened, because he walked in shortly thereafter and he saw that I was just in shock. And he's like, what was it? What happened? And right away, this person guessed he didn't give you the 2000, did he? And I shook my head. So when he spoke to that person, he kind of talked some sense into him, but it did take a couple of weeks for him to give me the other thousand. So that said, back to Winnie Debinum. So I knew that she had money, that she was real and serious when she told me that she wanted me to travel with her. So she asked what I was making per year at the gym, and I told her, and she offered me about. $1,200 
$25,000 more than I was making at the gym per year if I came on the road and traveled with her. And I had a good thing going at that time because the program was building up and more than one gym had been opened under me. So I passed on it. I did not take her up. However, about six months later, she then asked me again, would you come on the road and travel and be my trainer? So I said, yes. In order for me to go, I said that I wasn't willing to go for more than three days at a time. Three was the max number of days, and she was okay with that. I then had to work out at the gym with my clients. I had to have other trainers that knew them so they could train with other trainers if I was gone. So I started out on the road and traveling to different places in the country. She was based out of Waycross, Georgia. So I would fly down to Jacksonville and then drive an hour outside of Jacksonville to Waycross, Georgia. And I would go to Chicago. I would go to DC. I would go to Texas, California, Pennsylvania, the Carolinas. I really saw a lot of states in traveling with her. And it was really a good time and a fun time because I was not married the first time, was not married. I didn't have a huge financial responsibility. So it was really fun. I watched more Dawson's Creek and Yes Dear and really all TBS programming, a lot of SVU, Law and Order, because it was constantly on. And the way my deal worked, with her is I was on standby. So I would travel wherever in the country. I'd check into a hotel. It was all paid for. I'd get a phone call maybe three, four hours before a flight. And I would pack a backpack and head to the airport. So the way that it worked is I'd get a phone call in my hotel room and she'd say, or her assistant would say, Miss Bynum wants to work out in an hour. I'd say, okay. And that was usually when I would jump in the shower and get cleaned up and get dressed and go to the gym. Now, there were some times where she would then change it and it would be pushed back. And this was around the time period of my prescription painkiller problem. And what would happen is I touched on it when I was talking about addiction in an earlier episode. When you're addicted to opioids and you stop taking them, there is a horrible flu that will hit you. Most people with opioids, heroin addicts know exactly what I'm talking about. I would need to make sure that when I was going away for two or three days, usually three days at a time, I needed to have enough medication to be traveling with me because when you are a pill head, you go through more pills than what's written on a bottle when you have a standard prescription. And most people who are addicts aren't necessarily just going to the doctor and having their monthly supply. Usually that habit gets much, 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 much more out of control. So I was on the, I guess, ascending to the drug problem getting worse or descending on the descent of a life. And what would happen, and I don't want to have this as the my mistake, my mistake is being addicted to opioids. That's not quite the mistake. I'm getting to it. When traveling, what would happen is there were times where I would be somewhere in the country and I would run out of pills and 
not have enough medication to get me through. And then it would lead to withdrawal symptoms. And that was really, 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 really bad when you are away for work. And I was getting paid around $400 an hour. So here I was, there were times when I had to fake a flu or say I wasn't feeling well or I had a stomach virus and it happened more than once. And there were times that I had to reach out or call friends and have them overnight me pain medication so that I could be well. And that was a very stressful time in life. And as much as I don't want to say the my mistake, because this is really a podcast about business, I I would be doing a disservice to the idea of being real and sharing my experiences in business, because this was a time when being screwed up in my personal life and having an addiction that was out of control really had no boundaries. And by this coming into my professional life, it was affecting me traveling, me making money. And it was such a cush job. It was a great opportunity. I got to travel everywhere in the country. And my deep regret is I really didn't see much more than the inside of hotel rooms. And as I'm thinking about it right now, I'm thinking to be to DC, Austin, Texas, all around Georgia, Carolinas. I mean, she was only training with me one hour a day. So that left all that time that I could have been sightseeing or taking advantage of it. And I didn't. So this story goes on and there's a lot more to it, which I will continue on in the next episode to where this led to. But I'm going to leave it right here that the mistake for this episode was getting in over your head or having an addiction that starts to affect other aspects of your life. And the key one being how you earn a living. Seems like you were doing a lot of traveling. Did you enjoy that part of the process? Looking back, if I could do it over again, I did. It was a lot of fun traveling. I was 25, 26 years old at the time. And it was to get a phone call, head right to the airport. When you get a plane ticket the same day that you're traveling, it raises suspicion for security. So I was always getting stopped at security points because they would see that the ticket was purchased that day or I'd be traveling and I had no luggage, just a backpack. So on more than one occasion, they threw me through the whole testing. I think even once I had to go to the back room to open up my backpack to take out each pouch because they were being really annoying with searching me and I was being a bit of a wise ass. What I used to enjoy doing was when I'd be flying somewhere, whoever was sitting next to me, like you strike up a conversation on a plane, I would always make up outrageous stories or lies about what I did or where I was going. I think my favorite one, someone asked, oh, where are you going? And I said, I'm traveling for work. And they would say, oh, what do you do? I would say, I'm in the FBI, or I would say law enforcement, but I can't tell you what. I'm a private investigator. (laughs) And that was fun because when people had follow-up questions, I would just see how outrageous I could get. And I never told them I was joking. And that was a lot of fun. 
I wasn't a compulsive liar where I was believing it myself. Someone, a friend of mine said, oh, you're a compulsive liar. I didn't really believe my stories. Like It was fun to play the improv game of how exciting can I make my life sound. So before this, you've obviously trained a good amount of people. Was this any different because of the level of success you know this person had? You know, were you nervous at all? No, because again, when I first met her, I spent the first couple months in knowing her, being told that she was someone famous, but I never looked it up. I just knew what others told me. So to me, she was just Juanita. And I treated her the same way I did every one of my clients. That's what was kind of odd about traveling with someone. I mean, we didn't travel together. She would be there already or she would come in later. So it's not like we were going on the plane together. I was hired help. I was part of her entourage. And the joke always was like, I was the only white person in her entire entourage. And I became good friends with everyone that would travel. So she had her assistant. She couldn't have been nicer. And we spent a lot of time, ate at Panera a lot together because we were always waiting for whatever we needed to have going on during meetings or. She usually went to the gym before, after a meeting. So I was going to those meetings and sitting outside with whoever was her assistant or one of the assistants. And it was funny because they would have lots of jokes to me being the only white guy in the entourage. And I've got to say, I was very accepted. And someone said to me once, they said in a Southern accent, and it was Southern, and I'm not going to try to imitate it because I don't want to offend anyone with my bad impersonation of someone. But the person said, oh, you must be good. I said, why is that? And they said, for when you need to hire a white boy to travel with, or you got to be good. And I took that as a compliment. It was fun overall as an experience. The traveling wasn't always the best part because it can be a pain when you're stuffed in or in the middle seat with a child next to you and someone spilling a drink. So the traveling part stunk, but the whole experience of traveling as part of an entourage That was fun. What was Juanita like? Did you learn a lot from her? I did. I'll get into her business in another episode. If anyone is listening to this, Google Juanita Bynum and see the empire that she's created in like over the last 20 years. But I saw her run her business like with an iron fist. Like she was very effective. She was a very good leader. She said, jump. Everyone on the staff said how high. She wasn't just really difficult or strict. She appreciated what people did and she rewarded very, very generously. And I mean, I won't go into some of the presents that I saw her get people, but I did see her buy a car for someone. I saw her give away $10,000. So she was very generous. She took care of her people. But I'll talk about more of the things I learned in a future episode. But All in all, it was a really, really good experience. I wish I could do it over just to do it sober and to enjoy the actual experience of the travel, the experience itself, and the relationships that I could have built traveling everywhere in the country. I could have met people in every gym around the country and done it while getting paid. But yet again, another victim of someone that has years of their life or parts of it blurred out or screwed up because of an addiction to drugs. So, learn my lesson. For more info, visit us at getconnects.com. That's G-E-T-C-O-N-N-E-X-X 
connectsunlimited.com, on Instagram at connects underscore, or on Facebook at connects comma INC. Thank you to our sponsor, Don Pablo, for the highest quality coffee at the best price delivered straight to your doorstep. Find Don Pablo Coffee on Amazon or order direct from donpablocoffee.com.